says, wait a minute, that's the third time she chased me down and killed my husband in front of me just because I was crazy. She's angry. She's angry. She's trying to tell me something. I remember the catechism class that my dad wanted a reward for that and being able to go to the Redeemer with our, our Sunday school class and our catechism class. I remember the youth Sunday school class. Those folks had a tremendous part in my early exposure to ministry. They had a part that played in my eventual calling. I remember those old elders. I remember preaching here at one time, and most of them were still here. Rogers was before my birth. I didn't remember him. But my grandmother saw to it that I knew all about Dr. Rogers because that man walked on water. But I do remember Dick Wood. And I remember Henry Louis Smith. And I remember Bob Robinson. And those three are all occupied tonight in Sunday school. I remember Sir Harrison Brother Carroll from South Carolina. He was the one under whose ministry I Y'all probably know this already, but Bob had a way had a way of delivering sermons and making those general sermons seem like he was talking with the assurance of everybody else listening. It was just an amazing ability. And Bob, I just wanted to thank you for the influence that you had in my life. You had a tremendous impact on me as a, an individual, as a youth, especially, but also as Long before First ARP Church graduated the associate minister, we had uh, DCEs come. And this was interesting. I remember Jacqueline Fairclough and Larry Young and Charlie Blakely. Of course, Lee Hickman was already an expanding preacher and was already fresh in the gospel. And then I remember those memorable times with Patrick Cooper and he was the nephew over the wedding and the funeral. And I remember my own ordination. It was Dan Hughes. The moderator spoke to Terry just then, Dr. James Boyd. And he stood me right down in front of the church. And he wasn't going to let me stand there by myself. He called my then fiance to let me stand there. And then Dan would stand with me. I mean, they prepared for it for years. It just seemed like 15 to 20 years. And he made sure that we understood what he was saying. He made sure that it was not just about being faithful in ministry, but being faithful in family life. He sat there and heard me. He, he heard everything that we were doing at that time. But as I mention these things, I do so not merely as a trip down memory lane, but realizing that we all share memories like that. Maybe there's different seasons. Maybe there's just something like that. But as we gather today to celebrate the 124th anniversary of the faithfulness of, the, of our God over these many years, we also gather to draw strength and focus from who and what God has been. First Rock Hill, indeed, has a long, deep, rich 
Jerusalem is there with you. And the Holy Spirit of God brings you together. In fact, one of the great joys of being an older church is that very good fellowship that we have together. Let's put that together. We can see the mighty hand of God at work in all of the times and all of the circumstances of our church. And thus, celebrate that faithfulness. That faith that endures through all generations. But you know, there is also an inherent danger in being an older church here. Too often, older churches look back and not ahead. Too often, they look inward and not outward. Too often, they settle into tradition rather than blazing trails for the glory of God. Sadly, in many older churches, their focus turns just as much to numbers as that minded sharing of traditions. But don't forget that the basic teaching that gives the church what it is that it needs, that money and numbers follow after Christ. The danger, as Jesus told the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, that we might lose, lose our first love. And so it is that at this juncture in the life of God's people, we come to those words in the first chapter that describe for us the nature of the church of Christ. And my text this morning is 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. And as we come to the word of God, let's bow in prayer. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For the honor is with you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
Jews are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that he may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, just read, I think, describes for us the construction of the church, the calling of the church, as well as the communion that marks those who are the redeemed and make up the church. Once again, hear those words as we hear them in verse 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be that holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. We're talking about the construction of the church. You know, from the days of the captivity in Egypt, the people of God there in the Holy Land were very well advanced with construction concepts and methods and technology of construction. And so these words to them would have been quite familiar. Peter speaks of Christ as a living stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, a stone which the builders rejected. You know, there's an old legend that when the people of God were building the temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that they kept bumping into an odd-shaped stone that just didn't seem to have any structure. And as they were going about all their preparations to begin construction, finally they got tired of bumping into it, walking around it, and just being generally in the way. And so they rolled it over to the side of the hill and down the edge of the Temple Mount into the valley below. And then when it came time to lay the cornerstone, they just let him have it. They sent word down to the quarry, to the stonemasons, send up the cornerstone, we're ready for it. And the stonemason said, sent word back, you've already got it. It's the first stone we've sent. And then they remembered the stone that they had rolled over the edge. And they brought it back up and set it in place. And that's where we sit today. Now, we also need to realize that cornerstones today are nothing like cornerstones used to be way back then. Today, cornerstones are mostly symbolic. But then, cornerstones were critical to the entire structure of the, of the building. Everything about the building was related in some way or another to the placement of that cornerstone. All of the measurements were drawn from that cornerstone. All of the elevations and levels were calculated based on that cornerstone. Every stone, every corner, every wall, everything about the building was determined by its correct relationship with that cornerstone. Consequently, great care was taken in the construction and the preparation of that cornerstone. And then in the exact placement of that cornerstone. And if we dare to look and see and see this in the incredible significance of what Scripture means when it says that Jesus Christ is the headstone of the corner in His church. Construction of his church, we know that he took great care 
government will have a certain amount of money that they have to spend. But it occurs to me that this uh, place had a purpose because I bought that old building. Somebody might be able to maybe take notice of it. It's not considered
Bible is the term second Genesis. And it refers to a phenomena that occurred when an athlete, two wrenches, two tires would go wrong. And then something happens in the body where the oxygen and the, and the effort put forward all seem to come into conjunction. And the athlete is able almost suddenly to go on to top performance. Likewise, when Jesus Christ consumes the heart of a believer, there comes to us in this life what we could liken to a second birth. A second Genesis has vitality. It invigorates and it sustains. It strengthens and it grows. It gives new life and new purpose and new objectives. And in His enduring faithfulness, our God has drawn each one of us as believers into this communion that is known And for 125 years, he has poured out his blessing and fostered this church and this community of each one of us being quickly born into the life and the ministry and the activities of this church. This is vital for the wholeness of the communion of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in communion with one another, we are children of God. We are eager to get beyond comparing and caring all in all so that we are able to go on into eternity. Yes, the church back here is still celebrate the faithfulness of God over these many years, may it always be said that the church back here is faithful and able to walk in the ways of God. May it always be said that every tradition, every activity, every endeavor has one driving purpose, and that is to show forth the excellencies of Him who brought us. 